Although I'm a doctor by profession, I'm not your doctor. All content and information on this podcast and on our website is for informational and educational purposes and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship by use of our site. Although we strive to present accurate information, the podcast and website are not a substitute for your healthcare provider. Always consult a healthcare professional who knows your particular needs and circumstances before making any health-related decisions. Also, there are curse words that are unedited and graphic descriptions of bodies, bodily fluids, and other real-life scenarios that might make some listeners uncomfortable. I'm Dr. Suzanne Ciotti. And I'm Becca Hammer. Welcome to the Perimena Podcast. Day. Autoimmune issues, allergy and asthma? AAA? What? Well, if you'll recall, in last week's episode, we discussed an uncommon but possible reaction to your perimenopause hormones, thyroid issues. Today, we want to continue the conversation by talking about other autoimmune issues that may have been triggered by your hormone extravaganza, allergies, asthma, and other autoimmune diseases. Suzanne, first of all, does the festival of misery ever stop? I swear to God, what's going on? Truly, I know. We're kind of delving deep, so it's not like everyone's going to be developing these sorts of issues just because of menopause, but there might be a set of women who do notice that they start getting additional issues that might be triggered from those stressors. So that's what we're diving deep into. So uh, these may not be issues that you come into contact with. So what's going on exactly, right? There's so many systems that are affected by our hormonal changes. It's no wonder that we're not feeling normal when our hormones drop to nothing. And as we mentioned before in our last episode, the severe changes of menopause may cause our immune system to become hyper-stimulated and actually even attack the cells of our own body. And this process is called an autoimmune disease. So the exact mechanism is not completely understood, but it might involve changes in our physiology in response to severe biological or even emotional stress. So some theories are that stress causes other hormones such as increased cortisol and growth hormone uh, and and also changes in our microbiome of our gut or maybe even autonomic nervous system changes. So those are kind of complicated systems that you don't really have to know about, but just understand there's multiple factors. And any outside stressors can produce this kind of response. So if you get an infection, for instance, or you're in an accident or you have severe emotional trauma, that can happen. So therefore, if you're going through menopause, which we've talked about as a big stressor in multiple ways, or if you have another stressor as well at this of this sort, you may be particularly susceptible during this time. That's part of why it's important to make uh, being a little bit kinder to yourself and finding time for rejuvenation uh, and rejuvenating activity during this time even more compelling. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we talk about is we keep talking about this whole be kind to yourself, 
try to find time, take it easy. And, you know, and then, and then we follow it up by laughing, going like, <laughs> yeah, if I had time to relax, I would do so. Mm-hmm. But this isn't optional. This, when we say you need to do this, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't, this isn't like, wouldn't it be nice to have a spa day sort of thing? Mm-hmm. It's, this is your health and well-being. Not taking better care of yourself can lead to lifetime issues down the road. Should you not be able to carve out at least a little bit of time to take care of yourself some? I get it. You are burning the candle at both ends, but you matter. And you can't wait until one or the other end of the candle is extinguished before you start focusing on yourself. Right. Right. Yeah, and the good news is that really we've kind of st- we've been studying these stressors and how they relate to the brain and physiology and it doesn't take a lot a lot of time. You don't have to take a month off to go find yourself and go to Bali. Uh, <laughs> you you can incorporate it in small sections in your normal day, like maybe 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. So it's something that just helps reset your nervous system and your bio and your biological system. So it's not something that's a huge um, issue or takes a lot of time. Uh, It's just about making it part of your habits, part of your day-to-day activity. So sometimes that includes things like breathing exercises or a walk outside or just being outside, catching up with a friend that brings you a lot of joy and connection. So we'll talk about that more too in some of our, uh, our, our next episodes on kind of finding your tribe and kind of the long-term effects and issues with menopause. So let's talk about some more of this than this immune response mm-hmm. uh, that that we opened with. What are some of these additional diseases that can be activated? There are two sorts of major immune responses happening that we were talking about. There's one where your body makes an exaggerated response to normal day-to-day things that you eat or that you come into contact with. So those are kind of allergy responses. We also call that atopia, and that's found in conditions like allergies, asthma, and eczema. And those day-to-day sorts of uh, things that we come into contact with are foods or pollens or dust or metal, and that's a hyperimmune response. So you, uh, so remember that this could trigger that triad of allergies, asthma, and eczema, and we call that atopic response uh, to food or other allergens. So the idea there then is maybe you weren't allergic to nuts your whole life and suddenly you are, Mm -hmm. or maybe you've gone well beyond dry skin. See the episode on skin. Maybe you've gone well beyond dry skin and you got eczema Mm -hmm. now. What? You've never had eczema in your life. Guess what? This is, this is one of those potential hyper immune responses that you're getting as a result of your crazy hormones. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So the other sorts of immune response that can happen is when your system is triggered into an exaggerated response, kind of like allergies, but it's to your own body cells and your own cells and your own systems. So maybe your muscles or your joint spaces uh, or your kidneys. So that includes more severe conditions like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, scleroderma, Raynaud's disease, Graves' disease, and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That's what we talked about last episode. The inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, and vasculitis. And there's more. There's more than that too, but those are just examples. 
Oh, goody. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's kind, It's beyond the scope of this podcast to discuss each one in particular, but I think it's just good for the listener to know that we are having very, unu- if you're having very unusual symptoms that are sticking around during this time, then you might have to have a more in-depth evaluation. So this might include looking for autoimmune or hyperimmune response, and that might include uh, lab testing, maybe even radiology testing, uh, maybe biopsies. And it might also mean enlisting another specialist of some sort. How do I know? I mean, I go in, I say, look, you know, doc, I'm feeling crappy, and I'm feeling crappy well beyond the constellation of perimenopause symptoms. Yes, I know. Well, I mean, some of it is that we've already tried something. So, uh, and maybe like we realize your period stopped. We're in that, like, let's use a typical, this is a typical example. We're in that six month period of time and you're feeling very fatigued, joint joint pain, achy, uh, maybe night sweats also with your hot flashes. And you go in, you try hormones, those aren't working. You did some lab tests, sure enough, you are in menopause and you're just not getting better. Then it's time to start looking for something else, like try to go a step beyond because lupus will have joint pain, night sweats, uh, trouble sleeping, brain fog. So, so that means doing some additional testing. It doesn't mean that you should have all that testing done all at the very beginning, but trying, trying, you know, certainly a medication that would help the most, you know, common reason, which good clue at the period stopping for some women, uh, then we would try hormones first. And, and it gives you some ideas, too, to be looking for this uh, it, in response to when it's occurring, or that, that can be a very big clue. So that, What do you mean? Well, so when is, it, when is this going to be happening? So it's more likely that it's that time period just before and just after that last period. It's when your brain and body are having really you know, drastic changes in hormones. Usually when we've gotten to that 12, 24, 36 months past that last period, hormones are stabilizing and they're not swinging quite as much. So this is less likely to be triggering for autoimmune or allergy related issues. We know this because we we see in women, especially that we, there is during pregnancy, and adolescence, uh, these are times when there are big swings in hormones. These women also uh, develop things like increased allergies and possible auto- a triggering of autoimmune issues. Uh, so that's one clue. Okay. Is a reason why we should look for it at this period too. And also it can occur in men too. Uh, autoimmune related is- issues, maybe a hyperimmune response with allergies during times of emotional and physical stress. Uh, such as like a surgery or witnessing a death or something of that nature. So also remember that any medicines or surgery that cause rapid decrease in estrogen may also increase this, trigger this to happen. And we'll talk about that a little bit more on when we talk about early menopause, the causes of early menopause for people. Like I said, yeah. the natural menopause, the incidence of autoimmune diseases start, tends to start uh, decreasing a few years after menopause, once the body has adjusted to the hormonal changes. Perimenopause-induced hyperimmune response like allergies, asthma, and eczema, once it happens, unfortunately, it doesn't typically go away. It usually stays around. 
But because you're aware that it's happening and what triggered it, you can try using diet and, and, and uh, maybe allergy medicines uh, as needed to help keep it under control. We kind of talked about the timing of evaluation, but how is this evaluated? So a lot of autoimmune-related issues are confirmed with blood tests, so that's really helpful because it's not a big evaluation like a biopsy or radiology test. So there are markers that are markers of inflammation like C-reactive protein, and sedimentation <gasps> Not rate. Not C-reactive protein. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. That are inflammation <laughs> markers. And if those are high, then that's a hint. Well, there must might be something else going on that's autoimmune or uh, inflammation related. So that might guide us towards a more in-depth blood panel that looks for a specific condition, depending on your symptom, that might uh, be looking for an ANA or anti-nuclear antibody or a rheumatoid factor, for instance. Um, so we can always start with blood tests. Sometimes that's enough to help us help your primary care doctor, who might be um, your gynecologist or your family practice doctor or your internal medicine doctor to refer you to another specialist. And those specialists might be allergists endocrinologists that specialize in hormone therapy, like thyroid-related disorders, typically, and also diabetes. Uh, rheumatologist who specializes in joints, uh, and especially those autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus arthritis. Um, and then maybe the gastroenterologist, if you are having a lot of bowel-related diarrhea and symptoms, to rule out an irritable bowel versus an inflammatory bowel disorder. So it just depends oh. on your symptoms and the lab test, who might be that next layer of specialists that you see. And what I would want to say about that was we're getting a lot of cooks in the kitchen, uh, <laughs> right? right? And that's sometimes hard to for the patient to navigate. And sometimes there's not quite as good communication between them as, as we would like necessarily. That's where your primary care doctor is going to be coming in handy as the person who receives all that, those records and helps you decipher a little bit what's going on. So you'll probably have to check back with them in an office visit to review some of that information as well. It's also a good idea for you as a patient to keep good records of the specialists that you see, as well as any radiology or lab tests that you have done so that you can take them to each of your providers and they can see what's already been done. Um, and just keep your provider, the prime, the primary provi provider who's helping you on your menopausal journey in that loop so that they know what's going on as well. Yeah. I think it's, we, it can't be emphasized enough. Guess what? Your doctors aren't automatically talking to each other. There is no shared record system right. <laughs> you know, in the United States where your gastroenterologist can see what your primary care doctor or your obstetrician, your uh, gynecologist is prescribing for you. This is up to you. Right. This is where the heavy lifting on your part comes in. The more medical people you join, you get onto your team, the more you are responsible for ensuring effective communication. Don't leave it into their hands. They got way too much to do to you mm -hmm. know, assume that, you know, they've talked about you. They ain't talking about you. That's your job. Right. I mean, even though like uh, medical record keeping on and like a computer system has been happening probably 
the last at least 20 years or so, 20, 25 years, definitely happening in the hospital setting 30 years ago. But the clinics and outpatient clinics really just started getting online, you know, probably 15 years ago, but all with different software. You're absolutely right. So they don't communicate together uh, very well uh, because there's just, you know, much, much data there that's trying to be coordinated, including labs, x-rays, your office visits, your phone calls, all the claims for your insurance company and that sort of data. So so they don't communicate very well uh, just yet, unless you're in a big healthcare system like Kaiser Permanente or like Centura Health System or something like that, then then there might be some shared data. But you're, it's important for you to keep a copy so that you, you can bring it to your provider and they can scan it into your chart at their office and make sure that it's all, all, all together in one place. Yeah, can we just have another shout out for healthcare for profit and how it really <laughs> helps the patient at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, off soapbox, let's keep going. Right. So uh, remember that it's really important to remember that autoimmune diseases are extremely challenging to diagnose no matter what time of life that you're you're having it. If you're having it when you're in your 20s and things seem peachy keen, like you have a good kind of good health in general and something comes up, even then it's hard to diagnose a specific autoimmune disease. So this is why it's important for you to keep records of your labs, and your symptoms and kind of how they've progressed over time, as well as the specialists that you've been seeing. It's gonna, you'll be surprised at how confusing it can be, even to yourself who's experiencing it. So it's good for you to keep records of what maybe had been tried as far as medicine, what lab tests have been done in that timeline. Remember also that for autoimmunes, they're really tricky and slippery. Sometimes a blood test done at one point in time is negative initially and then becomes positive later on. So maybe we'll have a not so high C-reactive protein at one day when you're not having a flare of your autoimmune issue, uh, but a month later you develop a flare and those, those inflammatory markers become positive. So that, keep that in mind. So just one lab test doesn't rule it out completely. And also some of these autoimmune diseases require a biopsy. So those what? are, yes, like, a, why? Um, because we can't, there's no blood marker, for instance, like in, in the, in the gut, the inflammatory uh, processes that could be happening, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. We can only get the diagnosis based on initially based on biopsy, and then later on, we you know once we know for your biopsy was positive, we can base it more on symptoms. Oh, it looks like a flare of your Crohn's disease, for instance. Um, other sorts of, of autoimmune-related issues that need biopsy or kidney disease, um, because that sometimes like for lupus, a nephropathy, which is inflammation of the kidney. Um, we would need to have a biopsy uh, done in order to rule that out. Even skin disorders like eczema versus psoriasis sometimes need a, a biopsy as well. So don't be discouraged if the process is taking some time. Just keep being an advocate for yourself and be honest with what your symptom, what is happening with your sim- symptoms. Well, and I think that's important too, right? Is that you're probably not going to get an answer in one visit. 
but you've had these symptoms Mm -hmm. and they're not going away. That's why you're looking into the next level of potential autoimmune issues because the relief that you're supposed to be feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) after, you know, when you're done with your last period, that's not happening. And so don't think, oh, I'm just stuck with this, suck it up. Stay the course. Mm-hmm. Keep keep going after it, knowing that yep, I'm I'm prepared that a diagnosis may take some time. Right. Yeah, and and realize that this is rare that this happens, but it can. So if you're not feeling better, then this might be the next step to look at. Don't worry too much because you remember we're having brain fog. We're feeling a little emotional and crazy anyhow. Don't jump to that conclusion right away because it's not not as often that it happens. But if it you know if you're someone who's not feeling better, this would be the next thing to investigate. We're all about solutions here. So what can I do about it? Right. Like I want to reiterate, be your own advocate and make your team of doctors available to you. Keep a journal of your symptoms and keep good records of that your journey, including any test results that you have done. So each type of autoimmune disease will have a different treatment approach and medication depending on how severe it is and what organs are involved, especially for those autoimmune-related issues that we talked about today, like rheumatoid arthritis and and inflammatory bowel disease, lupus. Of course, allergies, asthma, eczema, those are things that are more common, things that have some over-the-counter treatments, uh, as well as some other medications that are prescription and other strategies as well, uh, like elimination diet that we talked about a little bit, uh, and we'll talk about again. Since these are uh, hormone-related, can't I just go ahead and take the estrogen progesterone? Can I take hormone to just be fine? Because if this is a hormone problem, Mm -hmm. wouldn't hormones get get me some hormones? Right. Fix it? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. You know, can they help? It might be that they help, but that more than likely wouldn't be the last uh, treatment uh, available. Um, Usually, Uh. it wouldn't be the most appropriate strategy to start, since uh, especially with autoimmune issues, they can cause, they can cause some irreversible damage to some of your organs. So usually the answer is not just uh, taking hormones once you get to that point, but it might be something to use in addition. It will depend on the specific disease and what your long-term kind of prognosis or outcome might be, what they predict might happen and what organs are affected uh, will all weigh into the pros and cons of our hormones, a good thing to take at this time. But there are some other functional strategies that can be helpful. So, so there are some things that you can do that can put the control back into your court a little bit. And I just wanted to go over some of those again for you today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so we talked about limiting stress and getting good regular sleep. Those are keys to resetting your clock. Um, Try to have a diet rich in fruit and vegetables with limited processed foods. Uh, You might also consider an elimination diet, which we're posting on our website for you to review. So you'll take out those foods that tend to cause the most increased allergic response. So those we know are wheat, dairy, soy, nuts, eggs. Uh, And there are some other things as well. Some people are actually very sensitive to corn, for instance, Um, and our elimination diet has some of those other ones as well. And you do that for two weeks, and then you try to add one back in every week, monitoring for symptoms such as diarrhea, rashes, 
maybe increased brain fog, maybe it's not really a physical complaint that you have, and increased joint pain. So you're watching for that. That might mean, might be a hint that you have a food sensitivity of sorts. Did you know that? Did you know that eggs are my uh, desert island food? You know how they always oh, that you play the yes. game where you say, "What would be the one food that you would take on a desert yes. island?" Mine would be eggs because mm. you can do so many things with them. So it would be a struggle for me to take eggs out of my diet. Right? Saying. Yeah. Just, that's, that's just a little side note to right. You know, make this autoimmune nightmare just a little fun. Right. And you could, I mean, you could try if you really love, love, love eggs, you could take them, continue to do them, take the other things out. And then if it's not really making you figure out what it is you're sensitive to, you might have to eventually do the eggs out for two weeks All and right. reintroduce Fine. them. But you could save that one for last. Or die on the desert <laughs> island. Right. Or eat bananas instead and, and salmon or fish <laughs> or wherever, depending on the island you're on. Mahi, mahi. We know that there's a big connection with the gut and inflammation in general. There's a lot of bacteria. There's yeast. There's uh, viruses in there. They're, they're working symbiotically with you to help you digest food and keep you actually healthy. They make some important vitamins. So you want to heal your gut by taking some things. Some supplements can be helpful. Aloe vera juice, glutamine powder, and probiotics, and a diet rich in fiber is an excellent prebiotic uh, for your gut biome. So it creates this nice environment for those bacteria to thrive. And then we talked about a little bit in the, the beginning of this episode, practicing relaxation techniques that increase the tone of the parasympathetic system. So those are breathing exercises, yoga, meditation. Those are all things that are really helpful for relaxation. Or maybe it's something that you like to do, um, like walking outside. So it's it's something that puts you into a more relaxed state. So okay, I gotta ask because it's everywhere. What what is your opinion on cleanses? Mm. Shouldn't I do juice cleanses or cabbage broth cleanses or I don't know? Right. Well, won't that help? So I won't that help? Won't that help reset the whole thing by doing a <laughs> cleanse? I wish it could just reset everything. All, you know, take you back into that infantile stage where you hadn't been exposed <laughs> to anything and you're feeling great and there's no immune responses happening and your nervous system is all reset. That can't happen with just a diet cleanse. Um, that's for sure. But we did talk a little bit about you know how certain foods certainly can. Um, and if for some people who I think are having really bad diarrhea and issues with um, an allergic food response, um, you know they tend they tend to know that that's happening. There are certain things that really trigger them. Then sometimes we'll do kind of a that kind of gut reset. But that's not for all women in menopause. Here's what I heard you say: sometimes, rarely actually. When your hormones are going wild, there is a slim possibility that you can set off a hyper or autoimmune response in your body. A hyperimmune response can result in something like asthma or allergies, especially to food, or maybe eczema, right? This is this is your body going hyper or above and, and making that uh, reaction. Uh, these are unfortunate, but they can be handled oftentimes with something like an over-the-counter, maybe an elimination diet. A more serious condition would be when your hormones trigger an autoimmune response, meaning your body starts attacking itself. This can take the form of like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, 
brainouts disease, thyroid issues, which we discussed in the last episode. Um, all of these autoimmune conditions are permanent and they need to be diagnosed and treated by specialists. So you can't just think this will go away, right? Once my hormones level out. Um, now, I want to reiterate, it is very uncommon that this happens, but it's not unheard of, which is why we're talking about it. So if you're experiencing symptoms that fall outside the quote standard perimenopause symptoms, please get it checked out. Let's talk about our next episode. So the next time we're going to continue our perimenopause conversation by talking about early menopause and medical treatments that can induce menopause. I can't tell you on the how many on the vlogs that I follow, how many women are like, I'm 38 and I've got all these symptoms, but my doctor says that it's not possible because I'm too young. <sighs> so join us wondering if you're too young for all this to be happening on the next Perimenta podcast. <laughs>